0: I appreciate everybody being here, Uh, not used to being on that camera, so bear with me if I stumble through just a little bit. Um, God really doesn't need to prove his credibility. Whenever God says something, he is speaking the truth. And that makes for a powerful case, and it makes him a very unique case. When he says something, it cannot help but to be true. But there are occasions where God says what looks like or what feels like a lot. And you would think, and I would maybe react, that we would be more guarded about what we say you and I have that tendency to say less so that we don't end up having to be responsible to uh, actually carry through or follow through with what we have said. I've said a lot of things that I wish uh, I had followed through with, but I said them with the intent of following through, but I just didn't do that. And as a result then, when you look at me, my credibility doesn't match what you see in the character and nature of God. So let's think about a particular little, just as an introduction, as a piece that you will be familiar with. In Genesis chapter 15, in verse 13, uh, God tells Abraham that his descendants are going to be slaves 400 years, that they would be strangers in a country that's not their own, that they would be enslaved and mistreated. He said uh, that he would punish the nation, that they serve as slaves. And he further says that, they would come out with these great possessions. So the idea is that when God says something, he says something that's true. But in this particular case, when he says something to Abraham, now because he has added all these details, you and I might think to ourselves, well, he shouldn't do that, or we may not, but that's not how God operates. God speaks, and he speaks truthfully. His communication is a visible demonstration of his credibility, and the more he speaks, the more credible he becomes. So let's just take this thought from this example of him speaking this word to Abraham. When he tells Abraham some long time before this happens, actually, that his descendants are going to go to this country, not their own, that they're going to be there 400 years, that they will eventually be in, end up enslaved, and that then they will come out with all of these possessions. All of those things that God says will happen, now they have to happen. Because if they don't happen, then God is not going to be truthful. Now, you and I may sort of revert back from putting ourselves in those positions to overspeak our bounds. But God is not like that. And every single time you encounter an example like that, where God comes out and says, this is what's going to happen ahead of time. And then he is required to do those particular things. And his credibility is absolutely visible. And you can see that he is communicating in a right way. God speaks in a way that is credible. Everything God says is believable. It is something that we can trust now god enables us to grasp his credibility so that we can live by faith god's nature if we understand that he is always credible if we grasp how deeply We can trust that he is credible, then that strengthens our faith. We are built up if we would scoot close and examine his credibility. If we'll put his words under the microscope, we'll find out that what he has said is true, and that will strengthen us as we live by faith and not by sight. So that's kind of the premise into which we want to engage our study. God, in the book of Isaiah, God is really shaming his people, Israel, for not trusting him as credible. Now, there's more things that are going on in Isaiah. And I'm not an expert in Isaiah, but there is an absolute theme that presents itself beginning toward the end of the book. And I want you to join me in a study of that tonight, because when we get through with this, this is going to strengthen your faith because you're going to see that God is establishing to these people his credibility. And God is, he's upset that Israel is not trusting him. And over and over in different forms, applying this spirit to different applications, he is going to say again and again, it's a shame that you are not trusting me because I am so trustworthy. And that in turn, from the positive side, is going to help us and educate us, and prepare us so that we can, I mean, we can trust God to a great level, and that's where we want to sort of end up. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 44. I would encourage you to get a pen and a pencil and write down these verses because it would help you if you would be able to come back and start in 44, and systematically, progressively move forward from this passage into the next context, into the next context, and I would recommend that you take a symbol, you know, use a square, Uh, and leave it open in the middle and use a square and get under the middle of the square and draw a little line about an inch long. That'll, That'll indicate to you that there's something in that context and you can use that same symbol at each one of these passages so that as you're turning through the book of Isaiah, you'll be able to sort of have that immediate visual and remind yourself, okay, these verses Sort of go together because more than likely you're not going to keep just a list of verses, uh, you know, that you write down. But I would encourage you to write them down uh, as you are studying so that then you can go back through and uh, take your time to make sort of a progressive start in 44 and we're going to launch forward and we're going to end up in 64 uh, this evening. So I'm, I'm doing something that is uh, a little dangerous, and that is jumping in context. Uh, each one of these sections of scripture that we're going to read, you're going to hear is painting a very similar picture. Uh, but I would still encourage you, you are under obligation as the hearer to take the idea that I am suggesting that is coming out of these particular contexts, these chapters, and you're kind of responsible to trail behind me and say, okay, did he really, is God really saying what Alex is saying that he is in this particular chapter? But I hope that as we go through this, you're gonna see these things sort of create a solid picture And you're going to have a good trail of uh, God's credibility in the book of Isaiah because it is absolutely worth our investigation. So we're going to start in 44 and let's begin in verse 6, 6 through 8, 44, 6 through 8. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer. The Lord Almighty, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. So this is the leg that we're gonna extend all the way through. And this is the thing that is a theme that we're looking at this evening. And the, the point of this is to say that God's credibility is visible in this particular way. God brings out to their attention that he told them something before it happens. He's the one who announced it. Verse seven, he says, who is like me? Where is anyone able to foretell what is yet to come? You see, that is a quality only that God is able to do and because god has foretold it it increases his credibility because we are then able to see oh god foretold this and not only did he foretell it but he actually made it happen now for lots of us like i said earlier There are times that we don't want to say that what we're going to do because we know good and well, we're not going to do it. God is not like that. What he brings here to his people is this particular message of, look, I said something before it happened to you. Now, stay in that chapter and let's go over to verses 24 And following, verse 24 and following is the next section. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners and overthrows the learning of the wise and who turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, They shall be rebuilt and of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and I will accomplish all that I please He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now, God is trying to make the point that what he is saying is credible, and especially when he says it before it happens. The Lord is the one who makes things, according to verse 24, He is the one who foils the false prophets who are in the habit of misleading his people. He is the one, God is the one, verse 26, whose servants uh, accomplish what his will is. And the predictions that God makes through his servants He is able to make those happen. And one of those predictions that he makes happen, go down here to verse 28 and circle Cyrus. Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he will accomplish all that I please. He will say, Cyrus is going to say, let it be rebuilt. God is saying, Through his prophet Isaiah, 150 years before the time of Cyrus, who is the king of the Medes, and he is going to send back the people out of captivity back to Jerusalem, and God is going to use Cyrus as as a tool and an instrument. If you want to mark in your Bible there, you can mark Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, uh, and also Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14, just as verses that collaborate the fact that uh, Cyrus is involved in that particular process. But 150 years before that happens, God says, I am establishing my credibility. And the way I'm going to do that is by telling you something that happens before it happens. I'm going to call somebody specifically by name, and and what that's going to do for me is establish my credibility one pile, one rock on top of another, one example on top of another, and that's what God does. You see into verse. 1 of chapter 45, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, Cyrus, whose right hand I will take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you, and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in the secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, watch, the God of Israel who summons you by name. So God is going on record saying, I am going to call Cyrus specifically by his name. And by doing that, that increases my credibility because I have added to this conversation. I have communicated these extra facts. And when I do that, it just elevates my credibility. Look over into verse 11 of this same chapter now move to 45 and 11. 45 and 11. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Consider things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or a reward. Again, God adds to the communication. And when he adds to the communication, he is just increasing his credibility. Because now not only can he call Cyrus specifically by name, but he's, he gives this little detail that Cyrus will bring back the exiles not for a Price or a reward. See, if God brings the captives back through Cyrus, but it's as a result of some bargain that they strike and and some price that is given, then God has proved a liar. And so you and I might think uh, it would be better if God didn't share all those details, but that is not how God thinks. God shares those details, and every time he shares those details, it is an increase of his credibility. You can see that he is reliable. All right, now let's stay in that same chapter and move over to verse number 20. Verse number 20 of that context. This is what the scripture says, 45 and 20. Gather together and come, assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idol of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. By myself, I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. And time and time again, God comes back to this idea that is repeatedly emphasized By what God says. And the point that he is simply making is, I have told you these things ahead of time. I have presented this before they happen. And that subsequently is something that is important. If you'll look over into chapter 46 now. Chapter 46, a similar content. There are different applications. God is speaking in these passages, not always about the same thing. Maybe he's talking about captivity. Maybe he is talking about the destruction of Babylon. Maybe he is talking about the fact that uh, he has revealed these things about how long their duration is going to be or who he's going to use as the discipline of Israel all these different caveats, but it's all under this same principle, which is, I have announced it ahead of time. And it is a theme that runs through the text. Let's start in verse eight, 46 and eight. Remember this, keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You see what God is saying? He's saying, I am the one who sets this up. I make something known to you from the end. You and I would scarcely do that because we might find ourselves to be wrong if we guessed about something. We just don't have that capability. It is no trouble because God is always honest. What God makes known, what end he makes known from the beginning is still just as true when he makes it known at the beginning even though it's going to be accomplished at the end. That is overwhelming to me to think about how God works in that way. And it makes me aware of how truthful you can see that his word is. And so when you come through and you're reading this, my purpose will stand I will do. He is saying whatever I am saying to you ahead of time is my purpose. Whether it is I'm going to bring you home from Babylon whether it is I am using Babylon as a tool against you, whether it is Cyrus is going to be the one that sends you home, whether it is that he's going to do that with no, for no reward or not at a price, whatever I say, that is my will. And that is what I will accomplish. And that is a powerful picture of God. All right. So let's move forward a little bit into 48. And there's going to be a repeat of this sentiment to Israel. And let's just start. And the, the, the text is really one through six. If you're marking Marking the passage down, it's one through six. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel but not in truth or righteousness. But you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. You come across a lot of times in the book of Isaiah where that expression precedes a descriptive comment about who God is. The Lord Almighty is his name. Bang. And this is what is said about him. So let's read that now in verse three. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted. And they came to pass. Why would God do that? What is he he trying to do? For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you. Why, Lord? Why would he do that? So that you cannot say, oh, my images brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. You have heard these things. Look at them. Will you not admit to them? Now, again, this is a very negative context for Israel because God really is, he is scolding the people for not finding him credible. But in the process of that, as God comes and and he is announcing his things ahead of time, he is saying that is the very thing that makes me credible because I am able to announce it before it happens. And again, and again, and again, you are seeing this sweet little bridge that's being built in the book of Isaiah, upon which God is standing, whereby his credibility is absolutely going to be unquestioned, and especially in comparison to these false gods, to these, and they are, unbelieving people who are consulting a wooden image, who are consulting a metal image, that has been made into a God. But God is saying, which one of those? See, I made those announcements. So that you could not say, yes, that announcement came from our God. The Israelites, the scripture says, has as many gods as they did hills. Hills. And they had terrible habits, Israel and Judah both in this practice. Nevertheless, God is coming and he is saying, part of why I am saying all these things to you ahead of time is so that you can't say that your wooden gods brought that to your particular attention. Now, that is a powerful moment that God is establishing himself. I foretold, verse three, the former things, my mouth announced them. And again, he is communicating this sentiment that he is the one that is informing them, not their gods. Now that conversation, uh, let's go over uh, to, I'm sorry. Let's stay in 48, but let's go over to verse 14. Verse 14. 14 through 16 is another context where this kind of thing is shared again. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. Now, see, this is speaking about Babylon. But the point is, is that God is saying this before this happens. And you see that established in verse 15. Which of the idols is this question in 14? But 15 is what really happened. I. Even I have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him. And he will succeed in his mission. Come near to me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And God is just saying, look, even with respect to things that relate to Babylon, I am saying those things. I'm the one that says what's going to happen. I am the one who is able to speak it. And if I speak it, it will be accomplished. And uh, 16 is so strong. Because God is saying, I haven't spoken in secret. In other words, I haven't said these things in some dark corner where nobody could hear me, where nobody could verify, where nobody could could check. God has spoken these things, and he has spoken them openly, repeatedly. And through Isaiah, that's one of the ways that he is establishing his credibility is by bringing this up to their attention again and again and again. Let's go over to 52. 52 and verse 5. This is really uh, about their return from Babylon. As I say, I would want you to go back to each one of these chapters and read the context of the chapter. Appreciate who is being spoken to and what God is foretelling because I am sort of skipping. In some cases, I'm skipping over what God is actually saying But we are trying to lift this singular thought that God is speaking in a way, and and he repeats this. I'm I'm speaking ahead of time. And so in this particular case, he is talking about their return and how he is going to deal with Babylon. In 52, beginning in verse 5, let's just start in verse 4. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock. It's Babylon that God is talking about declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. He means among the people of Babylon. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that I foretold it. Yes, it is I who foretold it. And again, God brings this uh, to their attention. I am the one who is saying what's going to happen in the future. And every time I add some detail, whether it has to do with Babylon or how I'm going to deal with Babylon, whether it has to do with Cyrus and how I'm going to deal with him, whether it has to do specifically with whether I'm going to do with my people how I'm going to treat them, whatever God is on the record for saying, he is going to be credible. His character is, he cannot speak anything but truth. Here is just another example of how he is trying to communicate that he is saying these things before they happen. It's It really is uh, a central part of the reading. All right, now let's turn over to another passage that you will know. 55, and let's start in verse 8, and we'll go through 11. 55, 8 through 11. Now, this is a section that most of us will know. But I want to try and uh, share a little, maybe a little connection here. This is verse 8. The Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Now, we are very familiar with this section of Isaiah, and we understand that there are a lot of applications uh, on the other side of the cross in the New Testament that establish and make room for this, what this verse is teaching. But really, from the context of isaiah this would first apply to these things that god is saying hey i told you beforehand i told you beforehand i told you beforehand it wasn't those metal gods it wasn't that wooden god it wasn't your astrologers it wasn't your magicians it wasn't your false prophets i told you i announced those things I announced about Cyrus. I announced about Babylon. I announced about how the people will respond to me. I announced about the discipline. I am bringing all those things to pass. And it's that setting through which we have just threaded a nice trail beginning in 44 up to here. It's that basis upon which then you come this verse. My word will accomplish what I desire. Well, what he is saying is these things that he has said before to all of you in the time of Isaiah. Those are the things that are going to be accomplished. His word is not going to return to him empty. It meant that back in 44 and 24, and and through 28, when he made a promise, and he said, I have announced that ahead of time, it applied right here to 55 and 10 and 11. That's where the strength of this argument is coming from, is because God has already laid this groundwork. His credibility is Visible and it's visible because his communication in a multiplied fashion has only served to increase that credibility. And so the context of the book of Isaiah itself sort of crescendos right here. This is where this argument that I'm suggesting is a prominent theme of the content of isaiah it sort of crescendos right here because he is aiming this backward at all these verses that we have just trailed up to this point so lastly look this is not exhaustive okay you could, there's more passages that could be applied to this. I'm hoping that I am just able to stimulate your study and give you something good to think about uh, tonight. 64. Let's go to 64. 64. And verse four, this is, a, this is sort of the conclusion that God is making by saying my credibility is established by saying all these things ahead of time. 64 and verse four, the scripture says, since ancient times, no one has heard. No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. You remember their ways god is the only god over and over there is a comparison between himself and what the people were worshiping they had chosen lots of other gods and the multitude of those were uh, in their possession and in their practice and God comes and and he says, throughout Isaiah, I am the only one. I am the only one. There is no God but me. And the way he establishes that truth is through what we have studied tonight, where you see him say a lot, where you see God say more than you and I would be comfortable in saying. Hundreds of years before a man was even born, he is called specifically by name. It's why liberal criticism is All over the fact that Isaiah or portions that pertain to that kind of conversation where God is announcing those things in advance, the liberal criticism says there's no way that could have been done. That is so unimaginable. That is so off the chart. And that's why I'm bringing it to our attention tonight, is because it is off the chart. And God is making the case to these unbelieving people. Here is what I'm saying to you in advance. And because I say it in advance, it increases my credibility. My credibility that leads me to tell you, I am the only God. There is no other. Now that message is, as I said, this context is a negative context for the most part because you're dealing with people that are unbelieving. But for us, oh man, if God would exhaust himself and present this case of his credibility by saying things in advance, and then live up to that. Accomplish what he said. My word will not return to me void. My word will accomplish what I put in it. If I purpose it, it's going to happen. If God would do that, For people who are unbelieving, man, what glory is God being given through people like me and you who believe it, who love him, who honor this, who are encouraged by God's credibility, who are going to go home tonight and think, okay, wait a minute, I can take All of that principle that comes out of Isaiah, and I can apply that to every book that I see God doing that in. So wherever God is saying something in advance, you can know God is going to bring it to pass because when he puts himself in that position and shares those things in advance, and you think, and I think, ooh, we wouldn't say that or we shouldn't say that. It is only serving to build up God's credibility in every single promise he has made. Just like was illustrated in Isaiah. We didn't even talk about 53, where his salvation is so illustrated and announced. That's a whole different study. But I'm just saying to you that it is really encouraging to me to consider how trustworthy God is. I can believe my faith can carry me to the edge where I pass sight because I don't live by sight. I live by faith, and you do too, in a God who says things before they happen. And when he says them before they happen, they are just as if. They're just as if he said them to you after they happen. That's how truthful God is. When you speak God's truth to somebody, you are speaking what is credible. That is a great privilege. And you have that opportunity to share just like this and take this study of Isaiah and put it into a personalized conversation for you you can sit down at the table with somebody and march somebody through just like we're doing tonight in this study and make this personal to yourself but when you are speaking the truth from the word of God then you speak what is credible when you speak the truth about God who spoke truth you honor God and God will honor you and what a great we just serve a great God and I am thankful for this grab from Isaiah there's lots of things about Isaiah that are fascinating but this is definitely a a theme that you will want to meditate on And I hope that you will be able uh, to present that to somebody, especially somebody that might be questioning or not as confident about the credibility of God. Uh, Thank you for joining me in the study tonight. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we are really thankful. We believe your word. We believe that you are a speaker of truth. And we just pray that you would put in our hearts the spirit of conviction, that we would learn from these people who did not, they took advantage They closed their eyes to the evidence that could have persuaded them. They blinded themselves to the truth that builds us up. They were ignorant of the things that we want to know, that we want to rest upon. This fact that you are, when you speak, you speak the truth. And we love you for that. And we're in awe of you because of it. We give you thanks for revealing that to us in this little short study of Isaiah. Encourage us, God, that we might follow your ways. And that we might trust you completely. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen.